This is producer Michael Miracle. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. Be sure to check out our website at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com for all of our past shows and podcasts, plus Jim's blogs, reading recommendations, and tons of great I Work For Him resources. All available at iworkforhim.com. And now, today's broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in this very 4th of July Eve right here as we broadcast not only out of Tampa Bay, but out of North Liberty, Iowa, where we'll be celebrating the 4th of July and celebrating the sacrifice that so many have made to keep our country free. We live in an amazing country, an amazing country where freedom of speech reigns, where freedom from government-imposed religion reigns we have freedom from religion we have so much confusion in our country about this whole idea of separation of church and state the whole idea was we wanted to keep the state out of our church but that's what's happened the government keeps imposing their ideas on what church is supposed to be we came to this country to live in a place where the government couldn't get involved in the church yet we wanted the church involved in the government because the founders of our country loved the lord wanted to serve the lord and wanted freedom to express their worship the way they wanted to do it without state imposed rules there's a soapbox for you celebrate the country we live in we live in one of we live in the greatest country in the world where we have freedom where people do not get killed for their religion with for killed for worshiping jesus they don't get jailed for worshiping jesus but believe me the time is coming when that will happen between now and then we've got a lot of work to do and that's what i work for him is all about you and me our workplace is our mission field and in that mission field you and me may be the only Jesus our co-workers and employees may ever meet. The job that you hold, the place that you work, it's not by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus. They need to love Jesus. They need Jesus as the hope to all the questions that they're asking. And you may be their only chance to hear that answer. So thanks for tuning into I Work For Him. Understand that you and I are the hope because that's what God gave us. God gave us the mission to love him and love others. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we have a special guest calling out of Wyzetta, Minnesota. My home, my home of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, it's got lots of suburbs. And about six months ago, I read an article by an author named Sam Eaton. Turns out he's a public school teacher, and I love the article so much, it took us six months to get this done, but I invited Sam onto the show. Sam Eaton, welcome to I Work For Him. Jim, thanks so much for having me. It's great to hear your voice. We've done a lot of texting and emailing. It's great to actually hear your voice. <laughs> you too, Jim. All right, so you, I, I just want to just start off a little, let's just lay the, lay the groundwork a little bit. Talk to us about, where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a suburb of Minneapolis. I actually grew up in Crystal, uh, and I grew up with an alcoholic father, which is a part of my story uh, that I've worked through a long time, uh, and it, it was a tumultuous home for sure, but my dad gave me this just amazing gift, and he would drive me to Sunday school. Uh, and so it was through that experience that I learned the church was a good place and a safe place, and I have just loved church ever since. So how did you become a follower of Jesus? Yeah, that's that's a whole other part of the story. So uh, I hopped around through high school to different youth groups, but I kind of marked the day that I started following Jesus 
when I was 23. It was two years out of college, and my life actually completely hit rock bottom. Uh, I had battled depression and suicidal thoughts throughout high school and college, and I actually had planned a day to commit suicide. Uh, I had it all set. I had letters written. Uh, and in that moment, uh, as I was wrestling with that decision, uh, I really heard this question, have you really given life everything you've got? Uh, thank the Lord I decided not to take my life that day, and I've really taken that question to heart. Uh, I've started this ministry that I run, Recklessly Alive Ministries, uh, and I'm just living for Him the best way that I know how. So then every day, what is your mission field? Yeah, I mean, one of my mission fields, obviously, is my life as a public school teacher. I see over 700 elementary school kids every week. I get to teach music. And I have 60 minutes to just love them the best way that I know how. And I certainly am not perfect at it, but my hope is that one day they'll look back and they'll remember that there was something different about me, something more kind, something more patient, uh, and that they can realize that, that that was God, actually, that that's Jesus working in my heart, uh, and that I would never make it through my job uh, without Him and without His love. So your workplace as a mission field, as a public school teacher, what are you teaching? Uh, I teach in the Wyzetta Public Schools. Yeah, but what are you teaching? What? Sorry, music. I teach elementary school music. Wow. Talk about a challenge. I, t I took trombone in fifth and sixth grade. I'm not sure my <laughs> band teacher was excited that I took trombone. Way too many things to get myself injured with. But, you know, it, so are you teaching band instruments or string instruments? What are you teaching? Yeah, so I teach general music, I teach choir, ukulele, world drums, of course, the recorder. Everyone's got to learn the recorder. Um, mostly those things, how to read music, how to love music. Okay, wait a minute. You just made a statement that most people out there are questioning, going, everybody needs to learn the recorder. <laughs> now, okay, so as we look at life as an adult now, why is it that public school education thinks that everybody needs to learn the recorder? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's just the best instrument you can give and the most inexpensive instrument you can hand to a young person to really get them started and, and apply what they've been learning. Uh, and, of course, it's just so beautiful, Jim. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we're going to go with that. I figured we could do some, you know, part of some worldwide domain, take over our minds. Maybe there was uh, secret mind tricks being played on us when we played the recorder because I remember my friends whose kids – we're learning the recorder, and for some, neither of my kids were in band, and I was thankful that they didn't have to listen to that thing as they were practicing. All right, that was off subject, but I had to ask that question. All right, so, so as a public school teacher, how does the I work for him message resonate with you? Right. I mean, it's just that, that love piece, that hope that I can be something different, especially as a man working with young kids. I mean, we're growing up in a time with the greatest number of fatherless homes, and so I don't think it's an accident. I know it's not an accident that I teach and work with a lot of young kids who, who are just hurting and who have really tough stories. Uh, and, and also trying to just live out that love for my coworkers. Um, for a long time, I held a prayer group in my room after school, and we would maybe have three or four people who would come. And it's outside of the school hours. It's totally legal. But we had a teacher who um, got in a very serious accident. We didn't know if she was going to make it. And we suddenly had 60 staff members at my, my prayer week. And so just providing opportunities for people to, to encounter God and, and being able to share what I've lived through and, and why I, I do what I do. Providing opportunities for people to experience God. I love that. We're talking today with Sam Eaton. He's a public school teacher who's got a ministry called Recklessly Alive. You can find it online, 
recklesslyalive.com. Okay, you wrote this article that I know has caused some controversy in your life as it would as it has in my own life. But when you wrote this, first of all, why did you write this article? Really quickly, because we're going to go into the details today, but why did you write this article? The article is, is entitled, 59% of millennials raised in the church have dropped out, and they're trying to tell us why. Why did you write that article? Right. So the last six years, really, since I've, I've come back to church, I've just lived for the church. I've worked in youth ministry, kids, middle school, high school. I ran a young adults group out of my home for multiple years. I just have been invested in the church, and I kept getting burnt out. Uh, I kept kind of hitting the wall. I kept getting really frustrated with the organization of church. And uh, I was sitting in a meeting, an annual church meeting of a, a large church I was a part of at the time, about 200 people, and I looked around, and in this 90-minute meeting, I counted five people in my age bracket, and I just started asking why. Like, where is my generation? Why aren't they here? And what is it about me that, that keeps struggling with this and struggling with the decision, should I stay? And so I actually wrote the post as a love letter. It didn't get that reception by everybody. A lot of people it did. Um, I could have just walked away. I could have just chose complacency and walked out the door and never looked back. But I really wanted to talk about these things that I was feeling as a Christian, as someone who loved the church, uh, and see if we could come up with solutions. And then when when I did the research, I found that, you know, it was kind of a nationwide thing. When you were at that business meeting, did you raise your hand and say, hey, I've got some questions. I'd like to be able to share some of my thoughts. Did that ever come up? Oh, gosh, no. I am a quiet person, which you you wouldn't know, but uh, I had met with members of the church staff multiple times for years asking the question like, hey, how can I help us get on board with young adults? What can we do about young adults in our church? And didn't get uh, very much support or help. And Did you ever so then, think this article would be would be shared over a half a million times? Oh gosh, no! <laughs> I mean, it's oh, amazing. Gosh, no. Before we got on this road trip, it had been shared over five hundred and ten thousand times. An article that you wrote, really, you wrote it as a love letter. You said uh, to your own church. Is that what mm-hmm. you mean? You wrote it as a love letter. Just- I wrote it as a love letter to the American church in general. Once okay. I heard the statistics that 59% of millennials have dropped out, I just started asking the question, why? And trying to come up with some ideas and solutions uh, to get to get my generation back in the door. Well, we hear about it all the time. You know, I think we need to define some of the things that define the millennial generation. But I think more, this is in my opinion, I'm not a research guy, I'm not George Barna, although I have, we, we've had... Um, Hayden Shaw on the air, who who wrote a phenomenal book helping us understand the generations. But in my opinion, this is the first generation that marriage has been destroyed from beginning to end. You know, in my generation, divorce, when I was a kid, nobody even really talked about divorce. But in the millennial generation, and I'm, that was at the beginning of the Xers. I'm a very old Xer. But when you look at the end of the Xers and the millennials, you know, 30, 40, 50% divorce rates, depending on which statistics you look at, are pretty widespread. So we have broken families, and fatherlessness is monstrous in the African-American culture. It's 70-plus percent. In the white culture, it's 45-plus percent. That didn't exist 40 years ago. I mean, it's, it's really changed. What do you think? Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, I so, mean, that's my whole story. Well, and, and that story defined you but yet we in christ 
our past does not need to define us to define us it's christ who needs to define us and that's what this next generation is saying hey listen i want something real i want something authentic because what i've been seen or shown hasn't been that way all right so let's talk about you brought up 12 points in your article and i don't know we're going to get through all of them but i want to hit as many of them as we can because in your article you stated a problem but you also offered up several alternative solutions, which is fantastic. And I want to keep us positive because as I didn't write an article like this, but I've had this conversation with church officials from around the country, and sometimes they're real receptive, but they always want solutions and they want somebody else to, to take it on because they're overwhelmed. And sometimes they're, they're like, nah, we don't have a problem. So, But most of us out there living going, yep, there's something wrong because we go past the churches on Sunday and they're half full. Right. All right. So the first point you put on there is that nobody, nobody's listening to us. Is anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? <laughs> what when when you and and I love that. I'm not. I'm, don't take any of this as criticism for me. I totally agree with you that this is. There's some big time concerns out there, and that when the deep seated dissatisfaction that you had in your heart as you looked at your frustrations with the church. How many meetings did you have with pastors and leaders in your in your congregation about this issue, about the issues of the millennials? Mm, around seven, over about three years. Yeah, there was a long and a lot of conversations. Uh, yep. Okay. All right. And again, we'll go too deep into that, but I know that there's been some frustrations in there. So and so that we both don't get excommunicated from the church, you know, from sea to shining sea. Let's let's make sure that we really deal with. So nobody's listening to us. Is your first point? You say millennials value voice and receptivity above all else. That's sad, because we hope that they would value Jesus above all else. But they but what they're saying is well, what are they saying? When you say millennials value voice and receptivity above all else, what do you what do you mean? Uh, I mean, we value leaders who know us and who make it a point to listen to what we have to say. I mean, as a teacher, I regularly survey my students students and ask for feedback because I want to know. I want to know the temperature of my classroom. I want to know what people are thinking about their experience. And I think the same thing is true in a church. I think that's very important for leaders just to know. I think it takes a lot of humility to ask for feedback because the feedback mm. you, you might get might not be great. But if you just go on pretending like everything is okay, even though your numbers are way down, like I think you're missing uh, the point. Well, and I want to make sure that I address it because I'm not impressed with numbers, and I don't want this to be a numbers conversation. I want it to be an impact right. conversation because mm -hmm. I think that's one of your other points later on down the line is stop blaming the culture. And here's the deal. The reason the culture is the way it is is because the church stopped involving itself in the culture because they were worried about numbers instead of impact. And, and that's my opinion. I didn't write the article. You did, sure. so we'll get back to you. Okay, but you say that the, what's the solution? If nobody's listening to us now, what is the solution? Right, just create regular outlets, whether that's a forum or a meeting or a survey. If you have a young adults group, utilize it. Go in there, ask questions. Invite young people to serve on leadership teams or to be in charge of projects. Get them involved. Tell them that they matter, that they're important, and that their voice is, is welcome. Not, you don't have to say they're right all the time. We know we're not right all the time. We're aware, but invite us to be a part of it because we want to be. Well, and it, you mentioned in there, though, something I wanted to disagree with. You said hire a young adults pastor who has the desire and a skill set to connect with millennials. That sounds like another program to me. We don't need more programs. Sure. 
Well, come on, argue, argue with me again. Come on. I, don't oh, I would love to argue with you. I am a Minnesota Knight. I'm so good at arguing. No, I mean, that idea, is, it's just an idea, right? I mean, I was, I was looking at a church that had eight staff members geared for birth to 18, and then three staff members from 18 to death. Uh, and so that, to me, is, is a misallocation of resources. Um, but if you really want to connect with this generation, show them that they matter. And one way of doing that is hiring a, a point person they can connect with if you have the resources to do that. I, I totally agree, and I, it does take somebody that understands. And, and here's the good news, Sam. As we talked today with Sam Eaton, a public school teacher out of Minneapolis-St. Paul, not that specific school district, but he, he wrote this article, 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out, and they're trying to tell us why. And I read the article, and I agreed with 98% of everything he said. Just identified one thing. I don't want another program. But what it does take is... It takes a pastor coordinating a whole lot of mentors for all those young people because that's what they're missing. They're missing parental involvement, grandparent involvement, aunts and uncles involvement. Our church, our our families today are so broken. Kids today don't have adults speaking into their lives. I mean, how many up to the point when you were 23, when you finally really were all in for mm-hmm. Jesus, how many old people did you have in your lives? And I'm going to say old people, people at least a generation ahead of you, like. 45 and older? Uh, I mean, I could certainly count them on one hand. Not many. Most of them were teachers or youth leaders who just really stepped up to the plate. Okay. All right. So you had some people, though. But do you, is the issue that uh, millennials don't have enough of those relationships? Yes, completely. And I think you'll find they're craving that relationship. And that's one of your points later. We'll get to that in a few minutes. All right. So your second point. We're sick of hearing about values, mission, vision, value statements of a church. What is the mission, vision, value statement of the church as handed down to us by our Savior? I mean, for me, it's love God, love others, right? And that's why I'm here. That's what I'm trying to do every day that I'm alive, trying to show people uh, Jesus. I mean, Jesus has completely changed my life, uh, and so I want to love them. And in that love, explain why I love them, and, and that's Jesus. Well, and, and you make it sound like you, you, you kind of get a little sheepish there and go, well, this is for me, this is what it means. No, Jesus made it very, very clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Boom, done. Right. I mean, and if we're not doing those things, and if any program we do doesn't reflect that, and if anything we're doing doesn't reflect that, then we're off task. And I think building, this is, again, my opinion coming out, when we tend to invest in infrastructure or um, hard assets like buildings instead of investing in our community, we sometimes get off task. Not always, but we sometimes get off task. I agree, and that's exactly my point here with the value and the mission statement. I'm not saying you don't need a mission statement. Your organization should be all on the same page, but like you said, like it should be easiest of all for us. It certainly shouldn't take weeks uh, to come up with a mission statement, like get it done and then get back to work. I mean, you'll find my generation's impressed with action and with service, and that's going to keep coming up in this article. We're just not impressed with words. Well, and you say, hey, stop wasting time on religious. I'm going to change the word. You put mambo-jambo. I like it called (laughs) mumbo-jumbo. That must be your generation's version of it. Okay, (laughs) mumbo-jumbo. I just learned that people don't sit Indian-style anymore. They call it crisscrossed applesauce because that was offensive (laughs) to people. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I just I got corrected by my granddaughter over the weekend. Like, Grandpa, we don't say that. (laughs) Like, okay, I am so out of touch. When you say we're impressed with actions and service, what do you mean? 
what kind of actions and service are you impressed with? Because you're not, to me, I don't, based on your article, I don't think you're looking for another program. Certainly not. No, uh, I, I think if you take uh, the number of hours that the normal Christian spends on Christian activity uh, compared to the number of hours that we spend helping and serving the people around us, I think that proportion is way off. I think most of us tend to gravitate towards the book groups and the social outings that we lose focus on on serving our community. And, and that's the third point coming up is, that helping the poor isn't a priority in a lot of churches. I mean, when I open a bulletin, most of the time I see Christian activity. I see 15 ways for me to get involved with other Christians, and I don't see the ways that we're really impacting the world outside of the church wall. And that's what I'm looking for. Well, and really you just said, hey, let's let's compare our, our time spent in church activities versus the time spent serving the least of these. Because Jesus said, hey, whatever you've done unto the least of these, this you've done unto me. And, and your point is very well taken. And I would tell you, that my whole life as a church member, I, there have been many times I've been involved in helping the poor, but not mostly in my own community. I've gone other places to do it. I've gone into other people's cities. I've gone into other people's countries to do that. In my own community, I have not. I agree, and I, I fight that battle too in myself. All right, we're talking today with Sam Eaton about a book, a book, a book he needs to write, but an article that he wrote, 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out, and they're trying to tell us why. We've talked so far about, here's some possible solutions out there already. Get your millennials involved in the conversation. Hear what kinds of things they're dealing with in their faith walk and the kinds of needs that they have to dig deeper. These people are not asking for more potlucks. They're not asking for more programs. They're asking for real, authentic relationship that will change their lives and set them off in a trajectory that can make an impact. One of the other things that, that uh, Sam, you said was the mission statement, that this should be the worldwide mission statement of Christ. What was that again? Love God, love others. Done. There you go. Love that. If every mission statement could just be so simple. And that, that's our Jesus's words. All right. And then helping poor isn't a priority. That's something we talked about. But comparing how much time do you spend doing churchy kind of stuff versus how much time do you spend impacting the poor in your community? Sam, what are some of the things that you have done in in the body of Christ there in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul and surrounding suburbs? What are some of the things you've done to serve the poor around you? Oh, gosh. One of my favorite organizations is called Urban Homeworks. It's an organization here that buys about two square blocks in some of the roughest parts of Minneapolis, fixes up the homes, and then makes them affordable uh, to poor people. So you can go uh, and just give a Saturday. You can give as much time as you want helping, doing destruction, uh, construction, all those. destruction? So, like, we help destroy things. I love destroying things. Well, like, one one of the houses we were working on had flood damage, so we got to destroy all the walls, but then help make it nice again. Uh, but there's, there's so many organizations you can do, uh, and you can help out uh, around here, Feed My Starving Children. There's a lot of really easy ways to get plugged in. But what about, I mean, those are projects, and, and I'm, I'm a project guy. Believe me, I'm up in Iowa helping my youngest daughter with a whole bunch of projects at her brand new place. I love projects, but I want to touch people's lives. I want to get to know some of the poor, some of the least of these mm-hmm. in my community. How do you connect, how are you connecting with the least of these in your community? Oh, gosh. Yeah, one of the the best days of my entire life, I ended up 
buying dinner for a homeless man. Uh, I had left a wedding in a bad mood, and sitting on a bench was a guy that I barely noticed, and I said hi, and uh, five hours later, I had taken him to McDonald's, and he had shown me around the city, and I made this friend, and I've hung out with him multiple times since. He'll call me when he's out of jail, uh, and we just talk about real life, and he, he's actually my friend. Uh, and so I've had a number of amazing stories uh, like that, of just taking the time to actually get to know someone who's in that spot. I like that. That's a great story. Love that story. All right. One of your points in your article is we, we're tired of we're we're tired of the church blaming the culture. And I'm going to go. We're just go right. That's fine. We're tired of the, we're, the the reason culture is the way it is is because I believe the church separated itself from the culture. But what is the solution there? I loved your point. Your your second point on this one. I mean, what is the solution to the culture issue and and millennials? What do they want to know? Right. Explicitly teach us how our lives should look different. Instead of just blaming the culture, people in their 20s and 30s are making some of the biggest decisions of their whole life. Marriage, uh, whether or not they're going to wait for sex, whether they're going to do drugs, alcohol, how they're going to live their life, how they're going to spend their money, uh, what job they're going to work, how they're going to influence the people around them at work. Uh, and so we want to know where does the church actually stand on those things uh, and, and how, should, how should our lives look? So you don't want to just know where they stand, but you really want to know what what does it look like. And and let's just bring it back to my outside observation. The reason you want to know what it looks like is because you didn't have a father or a mother. We're talking this whole generation. In your case, you didn't have a father that demonstrated this. The kids in this generation didn't necessarily have parents that told them these things. Is that true, or is that just am, am I just am I just wrong? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's true for some people for sure. Okay, well, come on, argue with me. Stop the Minnesota nice thing. I mean, if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Well, why is it that our, the millennial generation needs to be taught what this, what this questionable lifestyle should look like? Is the church just I mean, never... We, I, mean, where are they, where, I mean, in the old days, I mean, I think our parents taught us that stuff. Sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. But I think that uh, it's also true for so many people who don't grow up in Christian homes. I mean, there's plenty uh-huh. of people who have non-Christian parents, uh, just because their parents were around doesn't mean they're necessarily getting uh, this teaching or this information. Got it. Okay. All right. Point well taken. So it's it, it, their parents may have stayed together and been around, but they just weren't Christ followers, so they didn't learn that Christ-following lifestyle from their folks. Got it. Totally. Okay. All right. But again, that just goes to that we need to keep investing in the next generation, which will be one of your points. Okay. I'm going st- to skip past the, uh, the reference of going back to Mean Girls, because that's a whole story. I mean, that's a whole story. Mean Girls was a documentary, and, and it was about real life. And do you, don't, do you have any daughters, Sam? I can't remember how many kids you have. <laughs> no, I, I don't have any kids yet. No kids yet. When you have a daughter, and like 13 years later, watch Mean Girls, and you'll go, huh, that was a documentary. <laughs> I had no idea that was a documentary. I didn't think that was supposed to be a documentary, but it sure came across like a documentary. All right, moving on. All right, so the I, I want to deal with your question on distrust with the overall church organization with how they spend money. What's the issue there, and what's the solution? Uh, The issue comes from, uh, I mean, just distrust of the organization in general. You're talking about my generation. Pretty much every single month we've had a news story about the issues in the Catholic Church. I mean, as long as I can remember. So just from a standpoint as a citizen, like that's the information I'm constantly getting, is that there's lies and there's secrecy within the Church. Uh, and so this, uh, this point is saying that 
A, like we want to know where the money is going. Uh, if you have a multi-million dollar building, uh, how much of my tithing is going to help the poor? And is that in balance? Uh, I think you'll see that a lot of nonprofits have really started to figure this out. Uh, Compassion International, for example, if you go to their homepage, you can look at their tax documents. They've got it all right there for you to see. Uh, and I hope that that's the way that churches go, that we go to uh, a more frugal environment, that we're really careful about how we spend God's money, and that we're proud of how we spend God's money, to the point that, that we're willing to tell everybody that this is what we've done, and, and that, as a millennial, gives me trust, right? Now I trust you with 10% of my income, uh, because I know you're doing good with it, and not just paying for a new sound system. Well, and well, and sometimes new sound systems are needed, but it, it goes to that argument, transparency. You're looking for transparency, and I would tell you that that is something that's been severely lacking, is you know the transparency. I mean, that's what Ananias and Sapphira, they both had a bad day, a really bad day, because they weren't transparent with how they were handling a land transaction. It, Christ wants us to be transparent with how the money's being handled, and so you're saying you'd like to see a comparison of how much is this going towards supporting the the operation of the church versus the ministries performed by the church yes okay all right okay and, and really that's not too difficult it just takes a willingness of leaders to be transparent and vulnerable because one of the things that here, here's what i've seen in nonprofits is when leaders are vulnerable and they share hey here's how much i get paid people go you get paid that much you only work one hour a week oh when people say that to pastors that's horrible because pastors their jobs are never done I mean, they're working, they work all the time. And then when somebody's sick and in the hospital or something's happened, they're working again. I mean, they've got a job that has no boundaries around it. So and then people criticize that they get a paycheck for it. I mean, so that's one of those, that's an, that's an argument either way. All right. So I'm going to just leave it right there because I think there's some room for transparency and vulnerability at every level of our culture. Because certainly we don't get that out of our government either. All right, we're talking today with Sam Eaton. He's a public school teacher, a music specialist in a public school in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities area. And he wrote this article, 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. And they're trying to tell us why. We're going through some of the points because we're trying to show, give each one of us some ideas on how to engage the millennials. The next point is the one I want, it's the one I believe is the biggest need of all but again just my opinion your your point number seven we want to be mentored not preach that what do you mean yeah i mean mentoring right it's just a watered down word for discipling we want to be disciples we want people walking alongside us uh showing us how to live uh correcting us when we make mistakes uh inviting us into challenging questions and, and challenging Bible verses. That, that's what we want. And uh, we don't just want to be preached at. We, we need that relationship piece. Uh, we need something more to get us uh, to come be a part of the church body. Okay, the church that you used to go to, uh, when you had breakout small groups, were they designated by ages, or did you have all kinds of ages in every different small group? Uh, both. They did both. They did. Okay. Because what I've seen is a lot of churches will segment by ages. So they get the old people in one place, the young people in another place, and therefore they never connect. So were you involved in a, in a small group where there was old people, middle-aged people, and young people all involved in the same time? So the model that I set up that we would run in my house was about 12 to 15 young adults, uh, okay. two couples of an older generation who would come as often as they could to speak into whatever we were 
talking about, and then we encouraged our young people to, we actually had a mentoring program for young, uh, for youth at our church, so we'd encourage them to mentor uh, the next generation as well. And, and when you say mentoring, you said it was a watered-down version for discipleship, but I, I think it's, you know, mentoring and discipleship, it's living life intentionally alongside someone and intentional the intentionality part of it's really sharing sharing the gospel sharing hey here's what how jesus is impacting this part of my life here's how jesus is impacting the next part of my life here's the scripture to back that up we're looking for really i mean tell me what you're looking for describe in your life what are you looking for what is sam eaton looking for in a mentor right so i mean one of my greatest mentors checks in with me every single week. We talk on the phone or in person about an hour to two hours, just whatever's going on. Uh, we talk about what am I studying in the Bible each morning, what God's teaching me. Um, and he listens and, and gives me great advice and, and corrects me when I'm being a schmuck. And uh, yeah, but most importantly, I know that he just cares about me as a person. Uh, and he's just doing this because he loves me and wants what's best for me. Now, are you married or single? Single. Okay, you're single. Okay, so you don't have a wife to tell you when you're being a schmuck. Got it. That's why I need a mentor. Okay. All right, but that, that's good. I mean, that's one of the roles of in, in a marriage relationship. We've got our wives to help refine us in Christ the same as we've got a mentor involved. I mean, there, there's there's a value, extraordinary value in both. Are you available? I mean, you want to put your name out? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, moving on to the next point of the conversation. I'm going to skip over number eight. We want to feel valued because it goes back to you want to be you want to be brought into the conversation. You want to be listened to. That's whole. Hey, ask us questions so we can let us get involved in that conversation. I want to jump to point nine because it's going to take probably the rest of the show to talk about this. We want you to talk to us about controversial issues because no one else is. No one is. What do you mean? Right. I touched on this a little bit before, but like we're we're making our the biggest decisions of our life. Uh, and we, we don't, we're just kind of scrambling to get information about where that should be. And most of the noise that we get is coming from our culture, coming from our peers, calling at us to chase the American dream, to chase for the biggest house and uh, the best marriage and the vacations and all of that. And we're not hearing from our church uh, in the ways that, that that should be different. Okay, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I love your point. People in their 20s and 30s are making the biggest decisions of their entire lives, career, education, relationships, marriage, and because relationships don't necessarily mean marriage, do I just live with somebody or do I get married, and what does marriage really mean? Didn't work for my parents, why will it work for me? Is marriage really even valued anymore? Sex, wait till marriage, don't wait till marriage. Finances, what does it really mean to glorify God with finances? Do I have children, do I not have children? Purpose, what's my purpose in life? What's my identity in life? chemicals, body image, those things are powerful and we need to be taught those things and a lot of times the church doesn't deal with it. You didn't, I mean, you talk about we didn't talk about how do we deal with homosexuality being rampant in our society? How do we deal with all of those things and they're not being talked at from the pulpit? I, I, I love that. We need to be talked about those issues. We've got a generation of people that call themselves the nuns. They're not, not that kind of nun, not a flying kind of nun. The kinds of nuns where they're not relating to any religion. They're not atheists. They're not agnostic. They're not churchgoers. They're not Jesus followers. Nobody told them why, why religion really matters, what's really important about Jesus. And so they're just like, I'm not going to get involved in that. And our churches are shrinking, and we're losing these kids. I'm calling them kids, but we're talking kids 18 to 35. We're losing them because we're not engaging them. And Sam Eaton wrote this article, 59% of millennials that have raised in the church have dropped out, and they're trying to tell us why. And in Sam's article, which can be found online, he, he lays out some lays out some issues and then some solutions and and let me just summarize what we've learned so far 
They desire relationship. They really need to be mentored. They need old people to invest in their lives and to walk alongside them and to help them understand what does it look like to follow Jesus in all of the areas of their lives, whole life discipleship. Sam, and we were talking right before the break about your point that we want to talk about controversial issues. What's the most controversial issue sermon you've ever heard? Hmm. Oh, gosh, I couldn't even think of one. Uh, okay, no. so you don't think you've ever even heard one. So when we talk about controversial issues, you've never heard a sermon uh, talking about homosexuality. What about one about adultery? Nope. What about one on pornography and the, and the rampant pornography addiction in our country? Uh, nope. Okay. So not all of those issues can be talked about in a room full of young families, but they should be talked. I mean, those, are, those three issues are issues that have really impacted our entire culture in church and outside of church. Yet the church isn't talking about it. So if the church isn't presenting a solution, where do people go get solutions? Right. Completely. The culture. Yeah, they go to the culture. So how do you deal with teaching on these controversial issues? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, what's a proper way to deal with this in your perspective? Yeah, I mean, obviously one of the, the, the biggest things we already touched on is just mentoring, right? That's a safe place to have those kind of harder discussions uh, in a smaller setting. Uh, also, you can just create outlets, create smaller smaller nights, topic nights. I mean, if you have a young adults group, that's a great place for that. Um, but just creating uh, events or communities, small groups that can talk about these things and have church leaders in there with biblical knowledge that can speak some truth into those things in a loving way that's not shouting at people. And, and that's, that's beautiful, not shouting at people. I mean, having a conversation. I mean, isn't, is the issue that you just want a place where you can ask those tough questions? Yes, completely. And then give him some space to wrestle it with it myself. Give me the opportunity to talk to God with me, me and God, our relationship, and, and what God's going to speak to me out of Scripture through that as well. As we talked today with Sam Eaton about this article, about 59% of millennials who were raised in the church have dropped out, and they're trying to tell us why. Sam, talk to the people listening today. As, and they've been listening, they've been hearing our conversation, and they're going, yes, 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 I hear that. Tell us how we can bring this solution out to our community. What are some of the things that you think, if, if I went and got a bunch of friends that were millennials, which I already have a whole bunch of friends, because all my kids, my kids are all millennials. I mean, how can I minister to millennials? What, what is one of the biggest things that millennials need today? I mean, I think we need to start changing the perception of the church in general. I think that we need to be known for the actions that we take and the love that we have instead of what we're against, instead of being known as the people who shout about these issues, uh, we need to be seen visibly making a huge impact in our community. Uh, the mentoring piece is another huge part of that. Uh, making service days, giving opportunities for people in your church to just show up and serve once a month. Uh, I always see that that creates way more community than, than a potluck does. Uh, Ah, man, there's, there's let's so just much clarify that. Let's just clarify. Church potlucks, though, are the greatest way to try new recipes. The food is always phenomenal <laughs> at church potlucks. Let's not bash yeah. church potlucks. Let's just make them part of a community serving event. Right. Okay. Just want to make let's sure they clarify. Let's just make sure that the, <laughs> that's a good clarification. But let's just make sure the focus is actually back on serving the people and not just being a big fancy church. Right. And really, what you said, the mission. What is the mission of the church? What is it? Love God, love people. 
There you go. Jesus said it. Love God, love people. It's pretty simple. How are we doing? I loved your point when you said, let's compare how much money we spend on operations versus how much money we spend actually ministering to the least of these. Those are tough questions, and not everybody likes being asked those questions. Sam, how, how can we pray for you as you champion this event, this, this, <laughs> really, this article around the country? How can we pray for you? Yeah, if you could certainly just pray for me and my ministry, uh, Recklessly Alive Ministries. Uh, I've been doing a lot of speaking around mental health and suicide prevention. Uh, as I see that that's an area of need in our church. Uh, just get connected, share anything that, uh, that you've seen on my writing that connects with you, and uh, yeah, follow along for the journey, I guess. Sam Eaton, thanks for being on I Work for him today. Jim, thanks so much. Check him out online, RecklesslyAlive.com, RecklesslyAlive.com. That's Sam Eaton. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for him.